What's up, Broncos country? What's up, Broncos country? This is Phil Lindsay. Justin Simmons here. This is Alexander Johnson. Hey, I'm Vaughn Miller, and you're listening to the Nutra Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime. Really, there's no better way to describe this person other than my everything. It's at Eric Dalala. Phil, good to be with you. Good to see you. Good to see you're in the holiday spirit. You look a little cozy here for those people watching on YouTube. Thank you. You got some hot cocoa? Uh, No, but I do have some tea, Eric. That's what you're telling me is in there. (laughs) Eric, I was going to ask you, how are you feeling on this Monday? It's sort of a weird vibe after a 22 to 16 loss to the Chiefs, uh, a game where many people thought the Broncos exceeded expectations, but still a loss is a loss. It is, but uh, I feel great, Phil. (laughs) I know that that's uh, maybe not the vibe that you're looking for at a loss. And maybe there's a, something to be said for the fact that I'm excited after a loss and what that says just about how things have gone this year and over the last couple of years. But Phil, I honestly think the Broncos played a better game on Sunday night football against the chiefs than they have in several of their wins this year and obviously a much higher quality opponent. So I'm in a good mood. I think, uh, I think there were promising signs from last night's loss. I do think that was probably the Broncos' best performance of the season, but I'm not feeling good about it. You know, I, mm. I, I wanted a win. I wanted to beat the Chiefs. and um, But you know what I am feeling good about, Eric, is this show. Yeah. I'm feeling good well, about this show. You could say that was the best performance in a couple of years, I think. I mean, Overall, I you think so, huh? They just, I mean, they played a, they had a halftime lead. They took a lead late in the third quarter. They absorbed a punch from the Chiefs and, and came back. They had a chance to win at the end of the game. I mean, not just was it a, was it a good performance. That was a fun football game to watch, I thought. I would say last year against Houston was probably uh, their best performance. Uh, that Arizona Thursday night game, I think back to that when Von Miller uh, made the guarantee. That was a great performance. Um, yeah, but, but Arizona yes, was terrible. And Houston, um, obviously had a really bad day defensively. I mean, I just think the the caliber of the opponent, this is the first time I felt like in several months, Phil, even um, after some of these wins that they, they could be close to competing against some of these top teams. If they uh, play that way defensively, if they run the ball that way, and if Drew Locke uh, avoids mistakes like he did for much of the game. Yeah. That was a nice little caveat you stuck in there about much of the game. I like that. We'll get into uh, drew lock here in just a little bit. We'll talk about uh, the two interceptions he threw, but more generally his overall performance. Uh, we'll talk about game management. A lot of people talking about that fourth down and three Vic Fangio decided to punt the ball. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit. And then we'll talk about Jerry Judy, his just one catch there coming at the very end of the game. What is it, Eric? Is it he's not open? Is it a lack of chemistry with Drew Locke? Something else? We'll get into that a little bit. And then, of course, we'll also have voicemails. Eric, we also have a little bit of a special treat on this Monday. We don't normally do this, but uh, we will hear from an opposing player for next Sunday. Can Any guesses? Teddy, 
Teddy Bridgewater. No, no. Uh, Christian McCaffrey. Oh. Yes. Did okay. you know his dad played for the Broncos? I did hear that. Yes. Okay. Yes. That could I be something that. interesting to, to explore. Yes. I'm sure that we'll get into it a lot more later in the week, but uh, we did hear from Christian McCaffrey on uh, this Monday, so we thought maybe we'd just bring you a little bit of that. So um, how does that sound for a nice little show, Eric? Sounds like a good Monday, Phil. I'm in a good mood, ready to rock and roll. If you want Let's to get be, after it. If you want to be a part of the neutral zone, you can dial uh, 707 neutral, leave a voicemail, and we'll play it uh, right here on the air. That's something we like to do every Monday here on the show. Sometimes if it's really good, we'll play it uh, on the Thursday show, but typically that's a Monday thing, Eric. Um, people can also write in and, uh, as I like to say, leave an email. That's right. Neutralzoneshow at gmail.com is a nice place to do that. Yeah, that is a great place to do that. Um, you could also hit us up on Twitter at Eric Dalala with an A, at Phil Milani with a PH. Some strange spellings there, but uh, if you could follow I'm along, tracking. I'm tracking. Yeah, get in touch with us. Maybe we'll read some tweets on the air. Uh, you can also just leave a comment on YouTube where we are right now. Just leave it right down below here. You head down into your basement and you read those. Yes. And then sometimes you get very sad. But mostly I get happy because the people love me. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, with that, Eric, let's just dive in right now uh, here to start the show. How are you? How you? What are your takeaways from this loss? We kind of touched on it there for a second, but are you feeling encouraged about this final quarter of the 2020 season? Um, I'll withhold judgment there just because, you know, if you go to Carolina for a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff and you lose there, I think this season, um, you don't feel great about it. I don't think you feel like you carry over the momentum, but I will say regardless of the rest of the season, I feel better about the Broncos chances of being able to compete with Kansas city. Um, and that I've kind of, I've come around a little bit, Phil. At the beginning of the year, I said, you don't have to beat the Chiefs. It's only two games. But I do think there's something to it now where from a mental standpoint, you need to knock these guys off at some point. You can't let this streak become 13, 15, 17 games. Um, Another win, Phil, would be the Chiefs' longest uh, streak in the history of this rivalry. So don't want to let that happen. But I think you've shown over the the two games this year that Vic Fangio has a pretty good understanding of how to slow down Patrick Mahomes. He threw for 200 yards in the first game. The Chiefs were 0 of 4 in the red zone, going for touchdowns, including 0 of 3 in goal-to-go situations. Uh, There was a nice, great stop by Malik Reed and uh, A.J. Boye. Tyreek Hill had kind of an end around there that was dangerous, and they stopped it. So I feel really good about the defense. And then I do think the offense is starting to come together a little bit. I know they just scored 16 points, but um, the last few weeks with a quarterback, at least, they've shown that they can be kind of this ground and pound team that can get tough yards on the ground, can convert third downs. They were better on third down than they've been all year. Uh, so those are encouraging things to me. And of course, just after being blown out the last three games against the Chiefs, you finally have a competitive game. Yeah, I was going to say one positive in this game was that we did not see the Chiefs backup quarterback come in and play some garbage time at the right. end of the game. 
that was definitely a positive. You know, Eric, I think this is one of those games where you look at the stats afterward, you look at the box score. It doesn't really quite match up to the feel of the game. You know, if you look at uh, some of the stats, and we'll get into this with Drew Locke in a little bit, well, like you just mentioned, 16 points. It didn't feel like just 16 points. It felt like the offense was doing a lot of the things that they wanted to do, that it, it wanted to do during that game. They pounded the ball. They won the time of possession battle. Uh, they were converting on some third down plays. KJ Hamler had a couple of nice plays. You felt like they were doing what they wanted to do. And, and overall, they, they played the type of game that they wanted to play. They, uh, the defense bent, but it never broke. Uh, uh, only one touchdown for the Chiefs in this one, uh, coming you know in the final two minutes of the third quarter. You know, I think that um, everything sort of was lining up for a Broncos victory. But then, of course, at the end, you know that it's going to be tough to slow down Patrick Mahomes for the whole 60 minutes, and they just couldn't do that. Uh, ultimately they've they lost um i i don't know i'm feeling weird eric I'm, I'm like i'm encouraged by the play but a loss to me is still a loss it's 11 in a row to those guys and after the game when i see travis kelsey refer to the broncos as the raiders that just boils my blood eric i'm like these guys just get under my skin and uh you know it, it could drive you crazy yeah, and they can say those sorts of things because they've won 11 in a row. And, you know, you've got to, at some point, if you're the Broncos, back it up and make them stop talking if you want that stuff to end. I will say, Phil, that, you know, if, if you're a Chiefs fan or you're Andy Reid, you look and you say, we had two touchdowns that were overturned. We had four chances in the red zone and came away with uh, 12 points there. You know, this could very easily have been Chiefs by 14, 20 points. And so if you, you know, the Broncos played almost a perfect game in terms of slowing Mahomes down, uh, ground grinding some time up uh, on offense, and still weren't able to knock it off. So I do think you still got to figure out, you know, how do you get over that final little hump there? Because you did play a really good game and you did have the right strategy, and it still didn't work. And so how do you kind of take that final step? Um, you know, I think, like you mentioned, Phil, I'm sure we'll talk about that fourth and three, but there were some moments there where they were just critical plays. You know, if Noah Fant on that drive, uh, I guess before halftime, doesn't slip or DeMar Dotson makes a little bit better of a block, they get a first down and then you've probably got a guaranteed 13 to six lead at worst. And maybe you go up 17 to six before halftime. And then, you know, then the Chiefs are having to chase you and, uh, you know, I, they dared them. They dared the Chiefs to beat them with the running game, and they weren't able to do that for much of the night. But like you mentioned, Phil, they're just they're so talented. And, you know, maybe a healthy Broncos team matches up, but uh, they weren't quite able to get it done this week. And we were texting during the game, Eric. It felt like, you know, at some point, the talent disparity, I do think it's getting much closer. I think that the Broncos are, are they've aligned and got some weapons and they feel like they can really, even Chris Collinsworth said this on the broadcast, they're matched up to hang with this Kansas City team, but they're just not quite there just yet. You know, whether that's a uh, youth inexperience, that, that type of thing that is only going to continue to get better for the Broncos. They're not quite there yet where almost like you felt like uh, – in like almost like in a college situation that you're about to knock off like a ranked opponent or something like that. It kind of had that type of a feel, which you don't normally 
get in the NFL. Right. And, you know, the Broncos still need to take steps to be a consistent challenger to the Chiefs, to be able to have that sort of matchup every time they play, to be able to beat them, to be able to win enough games where, you know, had the Broncos had won last night, Phil, it would have stopped the Chiefs from clinching a playoff berth, but it doesn't exactly, it wouldn't have changed the Broncos playoff hopes really all that drastically. You need to still get to a point where, you know, you're six and three and you're playing an eight and two, or excuse me, a, a seven and two Chiefs team. And like this, this game helps decide who wins the division. That's where they're looking ahead. But I do think something positive is that you've shown now the last couple of games, at least defensively, that Vic Fangio has you prepared well enough that you don't have to have your quarterback out duel Patrick Mahomes. Your quarterback has to be solid. They have to maybe play a little bit better than Drew Locke did on Sunday, but you know, you don't have to have Aaron Rodgers out there to beat this team because Vic Fangio has built a defense that, whether it's personnel-wise or schematically, kind of has figured out a way to at least slow them down a little bit. Uh, You talked about the mental aspect of this thing. I think the next time they play the Chiefs, one of the big elements is going to be blocking out the outside noise because, like, sometimes – like uh, you heard from Vic Fangio after the game, he said something like, I really believe that we were going to come in here and win the game. And to most people just hearing that, they're like, this guy must be out of his mind, you know? Or like you heard him at halftime, you heard Michelle Tofoya reporting that, you know, they were so confident coming out of halftime that they were going to win this game. And you're like, gosh, how, how do they really feel like this? And I think part of that is taking a step I know that there's no moral victories, but, you know, being able to play the Chiefs close like this, the next time around internally inside that building, they're going to feel like, hey, we can play with these guys. They're just going to have to block out the noise because everybody's going to be talking about 11 games in a row. This could be for the record in this series. Uh, You know, that's going to be the whole talk. They're going to have to block that noise out. And mentally, you got to feel like, okay, we can win this game. Well, the fact that it happened in Arrowhead, too, I think is big because the last few times that the Broncos have been competitive against the Chiefs has been in Denver. You know, in 2016, obviously, they had an overtime loss. In 2018, they were close. That was the Case Keenum overthrow there toward the end of the game. In an Arrowhead, it has not been close. It has not been competitive. And so even, you know, there's only three quarterbacks in Broncos history that have won in Arrowhead in December. It does not happen very often. It's a difficult thing to do. And so I think being able to say to yourselves, like, hey, we we showed we not only has a, have a chance to now split against the Chiefs when we play them, but we can go on the road and beat them there if we need to. Yeah, uh, Peyton Manning, John Elway, and Kyle Orton. So that's a uh, those are the three quarterbacks there, but I will say this: there were what, like twenty thousand fans there yeah, uh, yesterday. So yeah. not your typical Arrowhead atmosphere, you know. Um, so I do think you have to consider that. But overall, yes, I just think that, um, you know, and we'll get into this game management here in just a second. But there's a tendency when you play the Chiefs that you feel like you've got to do a little bit more. You got to go for two. You got to take unnecessary risks because you're like, this is the Chiefs. They can score at any second. They can just do whatever they want. Part of you got to fight that a little bit in my mind. You got to say, we're going to play Broncos football. We're going to do what we want to do. And whatever happens, happens. I don't think you could just change your entire identity playing the Chiefs. My opinion. That's my opinion. So, well, I mean, do you you want to get into that? Because I think if that's your your thought, then I think 
you could argue that under that umbrella of thinking, Vic Fangio made the right decision to punt it on fourth and three. Well, uh, okay, if we want to, we can get into game management here. I I do think what was interesting, uh, Eric, is that for a large part of the game, he decided to be aggressive. And I think overall, he likes to play aggressive style football. Last year, we heard him say, we want to take more shots down the field. Overall, I feel like he's an aggressive-minded head coach. And we saw them go for two there, which was a little bit confusing to me. He said on the chart, it said go for two in that situation, but I'm not sure what how those numbers play out there. Uh, right before halftime, took a, a big risk in letting McManus kick a really long field goal, and that ended up uh, coming back to bite him. I feel like he's an aggressive-minded head coach, and then at that point in the game, all of a sudden he wasn't aggressive. And, and you almost just felt like, gosh, you're giving the ball back to the Chiefs, six minutes to go here, you're down three. That's asking a lot for them to hold them and get the ball back with enough time to legitimately try and go down and, and win the game. Yeah. I mean, as far as the other game management decisions go early in the game, so I, I think the Broncos first score, I wanted them to go for it um, instead of kicking a field goal. I think it was a short fourth down. They were in the th- you know high 30 range. And I said, you know, touchdowns are going to beat this team, not field goals. Um, they ended up kicking it. They made it. It worked out. The second field goal, I think what hurt you, you know, the Chiefs going down and getting three points to me isn't a huge deal just because I think the way the rest of the game played out, it was clear that Patrick Mahomes was going to have time, you know, regardless of if they get the three points or not, they were going to have time for a drive. You know, maybe they handle those last six minutes differently if they're trailing. That to me wasn't a big deal. It was more, you know, the Broncos chance to get three points there would have been big, I think, because it would have pushed the lead back to seven. The two point conversion didn't really hurt them mathematically. I mean, the difference between being down 1916 and, you know, and 1917 is just that you would have taken a lead with the field goal, but they never even got in position to try a field goal. So it didn't end up having much bearing. And then on the fourth down, you know, the fourth and three near midfield, I think in retrospect, yeah, you should go for it because we see this all the time with the chiefs and teams in general, whenever you make that decision to punt and, you know, if it was four minutes left, Phil, it was four and a half minutes left. I think he would have gone for it. I think it was the fact that there were six minutes left and he was like, you know, the chiefs might have two more possessions after this. And so if they had a field goal here and we don't, you know, and then we go down, they're still going to get the ball a lot to consider there. And I think the amount of time that was left maybe went into that decision, but yeah, they were back at the 50 yard line within a couple of minutes. Um, the Broncos have not been good on fourth down. They've not been good on short yardage plays like that, but maybe you give it to Melvin Gordon and see if he can keep his big day going and get a first down. And then you're in position to at least tie the football game. But t- to me, you've relied on your defense all year. They've come up big in certain spots. I can understand why he did it, even if it didn't necessarily work out. And, you know, I think if he'd gone back, he'd probably, he'd probably make the other decision. But, you know, what I didn't like, Phil, is that people on Twitter just bashing, bashing, bashing the decision, the Broncos, because, you know, listen, this is a team that was two touchdown underdogs. They came in, they played really well. They had a chance to win it. They made a decision that um, 
I don't think was indefensible by any means. And it didn't work out, but everybody was acting like the Broncos were, were losers for making that decision. And it was like, wait a second, they've, they've got a lot of people out for the year. They're four and seven. They came in here to Arrowhead and they've made this a game. Like why all of a sudden are we turning and deciding that like this team is terrible just because of one decision? Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, you don't look at the whole season and say, okay, uh, we're four and seven. They're this great team. You know, I just talking about just in the moment, you know, I, we want the Broncos want to win this game. That's all that matters. And here's what Vic Fangio had to say on Monday after uh, having a chance to uh, reflect on, on the decision a little bit here. You know, with six and a half minutes to go roughly, no matter what we had done, if we had continued that drive and successfully uh, converted the fourth down, we were going to have to come up with a stop on defense. And, um, you know, we haven't been – our strong suit hasn't been um, third and twos and threes, fourth and twos and threes. In fact, I think we're the, we hadn't converted any of the fourth and twos and threes we tried all year. So, you know, combining though that fact with the fact that we uh, were going to have to get a stop no matter what happened, I choose, chose that for that to be the time for us to get a stop. You know, we punted it down there. I believe they got it on about the 10. And we needed to come up with a stop at some point in that game, regardless of what we chose to do on that fourth down. And so that was the time that I chose to go get that stop. And unfortunately, uh, we held them to a field goal, but – you know, it burned to burn too much time. So, so that's what uh, Fangio had, you know, he went through his reasoning a little bit there and why he did that. I have a couple of thoughts on that, but I think no matter what you think, it was a, a toss up decision. You know, if that wasn't a clear decision. I mean, especially the way the Broncos defense have been playing, you, you got to feel confident that uh, they, they're going to be able to do something, but at the same time, uh, Eric, I would say that um, different scenarios, offenses are going to play a little bit different. So, like, yes, they would have had to get one stop, but say the Broncos go for it in that situation and they get better field position, they run off a couple more minutes of game clock, they tie the game, or better yet, they go down and they score a touchdown and take the lead, then the Chiefs getting the ball back and asking the defense to go out there and get a stop in that situation is much different than when you punt in this situation and then you're asking the the Chiefs to come out. They want to kill clock while driving the ball, and the Broncos' defense are like feels pressure to get off the field and get the offense the ball back. Different uh, strategies there. Yeah, I mean, I would think if you take the lead or you go up, or excuse me, or you tie it and the Chiefs get the ball back with, say, four minutes left or three and a half minutes left. I think the defense is probably feeling pressure in that situation, too. So, I don't, you know, like Vic Fangio was saying, they had to get a stop. I do think if you're if you're arguing which one's easier, it might actually be easier in that six minute situation because you probably know that they want to run the ball, which is what they did um, on a large majority of that final drive the Broncos did not stack the box because they were still worried about those, uh, the passing plays, which I think made sense. Um, but you know, they had a couple, the issue on that drive was they did not force them into these third down situations that they had the rest of the game. And the chiefs were not good on third down. I think three of 10. Um, and the Broncos just couldn't get them in that situation, but they had a couple 
chances to make it close. Earlier in the game, Kareem Jackson almost picks off Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they had chances to make some of these game-changing plays. But, yeah, you, you know, whether or not the Broncos score or whatever, at some point you do have to make a stop because the Chiefs are going to go down the field, probably score, and then maybe you end up in the same exact situation where the Broncos have a minute left and the score is just different, but you still got to go down the field again. Um, it just comes down to do you what do you think you have a better chance of converting? One fourth and three play with your offense? or stopping the Chiefs, you know, before they get into field goal range. And I think it's clear there that Vic Fangio trusted his defense a little bit more and maybe thought, hey, we're not even going to give up three points here. We're going to get a three and out or we're going to stop them before midfield and they're going to have to punt. That was definitely the goal or the strategy, uh, no doubt about that. But um, you, you just wonder, hey, they were having some success running the football on third down and short. Uh, maybe you give it to Melvin Gordon, like you suggested again, maybe you try to, I mean, whenever something doesn't work, it's going to get a lot more scrutiny the next day or after the game or whatever. So, you know, if the Broncos punted there, got the stop and got the ball back and, you know, one, tied the game or whatever, then you're like, oh, no big deal. But uh, because it didn't quite work out and, and the Broncos got the ball back with just a minute or so left to play and had to uh, go down and score a touchdown, uh you're going to screw, you're going to be more critical of it. So. I think the the only difference is that no matter when you get the ball back, if you're the Broncos is you probably have worse field position because even if the chiefs pick up one first down and punt it away, you're not going to be at the 50 yard line anymore. And so you are gaining a new set of downs, but you're going to be sacrificing some sort of field position in that scenario in all likelihood. Yeah, no, most definitely. I just felt like maybe fourth and three. They they almost got the third down and three. It bounced off Hamler's hands. Felt like the offense at that point was feeling pretty good. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen them be aggressive in that situation, but uh, I certainly understand the decision, and uh, it, it wasn't black and white to me. I feel like I, I understand what Vic's saying there. The other thing that was a little confusing was so aggressive for so long and then not in that one situation. Um you just, uh, I guess you, you just wonder why not in that situation are you are you aggressive? So anyway, maybe one of the reasons why uh, Eric is, uh, you know, felt like maybe like Drew Locke, you know, the game that he was having, you felt uh, better about uh, the defense coming out onto the field. What did you think about Drew's play overall? A decent. You know, I, I don't think it was great by any means. I mean, he had a really nice play to Noah Fant to open the game up and then threw a bad interception to Tyron Matthew on the first drive. And I think those two plays were kind of emblematic of his whole night and really his career so far that there's these really good plays that make you say, wow, that's a heck of a throw. That's a heck of a play. The Broncos have been missing a quarterback who can make those plays. And then he makes a, a decision, not necessarily a technical error, but a bad decision that haunts the team uh, and you just kind of scratch your head a little bit. I don't think Phil, I, I talked with you about this before. I don't think there were that many plays during the game when you're like, that was an awful throw. That was a bad decision. Um, I do think there were fewer negative plays. And I think the fact that they were, he was able to keep some of these drives alive, even though they did rely heavily on Melvin Gordon. Um, he made some plays when he needed to that, that final pass to KJ Hamler on that third and three, it was on KJ's hands. I mean, it was, it was a difficult catch. I don't know if I'd argue that that was a drop necessarily, but uh, a good enough throw. 
Phil, for me though, you have to, I tweeted it out. I, I know it's going to get people going a little bit. I said, Drew Locke has a chance to change some people's minds here and to prove some people wrong. And he ended up throwing an interception, but I feel like on those last drives, he's got to, at some point, he's got to do that. You know, the way he did against the chargers last year, the way he did um, against the chargers this year, but he's got to do it more consistently. And for whatever reason on these last drives, Phil, because we saw it against the Falcons too, where there was kind of enough time he, when he gets going, he's okay. But the start of those drives, it, it seems like sometimes he can't get going on that, that for, he can't get that first, first down that would then extend the drive and make things a little bit easier. Yeah. I think uh, you hit it on the nail on the head there is that there's really high highs and then there's really low lows, you know, like the touchdown throw to Tim Patrick on the fade route that was right on the money. And, and you loved when you see those kind of throws, you're like, this is our guy, you know, but uh, you know, after preaching all week, ball security, we got to win the turnover battle. We got to do this to on the very first drive, throw an interception. You're just like, gosh, you know, like, like what is going on? And when I watch drew, I watch an internal conflict almost all game long where inside his natural reaction to stuff is I'm going deep. I'm going to take shots. I trust my arm. I trust my receivers to make plays. I'm going to take the shots. I'm going to make the big play. That's, that's who I am as a person, Drew Locke. So much confidence. You saw him with the ear, you know, saying, come on, let's do this. And, but then sometimes you can clearly tell somebody's told him, don't do that. Just take what they give you. And then maybe the next time they get the ball, like on that one third down play where he dumped it off to Vanette, he took what the defense was giving him. He Vanette was open there. Could have, uh, if he would have caught that ball easily, he could have got the first down, but a little, maybe a little bit of a touch issue there on the throw. But then, and then you criticize Drew and you're like, don't throw it short of the sticks. You know, don't do this. So it's like this constant give and take of, okay, I'm going to just play within the system or even on that last interception of time, Matthew, I think it was Tim Patrick underneath wide open would have been a first down, would have extended the drive, although the clock was a situation there, but instead he felt the need to take the deeper route to Jerry Judy and it got picked off. So you just feel like there's like this uh, struggle there, you know, where he wants to make a big play, but at the same time, the coaching or some voice in his head is saying, don't do that. Just take what they're giving you. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, like I said, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't great. I don't even know if I'd say it was a good performance. It was fine. I think, you know, for most of the game, he did enough for the team to win. They had three final drives that they didn't score on two punts, one interception, two of those, um, Obviously, one was the fourth and three, and the other one, you might be in position to keep picking up yards, except for that Philip Lindsay gets gets hardly anything on second and four, um, and puts you in a third down. To me, though, you can't you can't look at last night's performance and be like that shows that Drew is not the quarterback of the future. And there was a lot of that going around on Twitter that that performance means that Drew's not the guy. And if you want to use other performances to justify that, if you want to say, hey, he hasn't taken steps the way some other guys have, great, you're entitled to that opinion. But I don't see how you can take a performance where he went to Arrowhead 
made some decent throws, threw a couple of touchdown passes, had the Broncos in the lead late in the third quarter and used that to justify that they should give up on him. Because to me, if anything, he took steps on third down. Like Vic Fangio said, he took steps in the red zone. He made some good decisions at times. He made some really nice throws. He's on the path, I think. You know, does that mean he's going to end up being Patrick Mahomes? No, it doesn't mean that necessarily. But I do think he's showing he's on the path to being a serviceable guy. And to give up on that now, I don't think makes a ton of sense. Um, obviously, there's four games left this year. There's a whole offseason. Who knows what the Broncos will do in free agency, in the draft, in the trade market. We just – you can't predict that. But – to, to watch last night's game and be like, that proves to me that Drew Locke's not the guy. I don't, were we watching the same game? I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hard for me, uh, and I know that some people view the game this way, but it's hard for me to rationalize someone's thought process where every single game you're saying yes or no, this guy's the quarterback of our fu- of the future. You know, I don't think you can live that way. You just can't like ride or die on every single game like this. And like I mentioned earlier, this game, not very reflective in the box score. I mean, if you look at Drew's stats, if you didn't even watch the game and you just looked at his stats today, 15 of 28, 151 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions, quarterback rating 63.2. You would say, boy, that was a rough night. But if you watch the game, it didn't feel that bad. You know, the Broncos were moving the ball well. They had the ground game going and they were just playing. They were just playing the game. And the turnovers to me are the bigger thing. He's got to get that corrected. Uh, Here's what Vic Fangio had to say on Monday. You know, we just need to see the continued improved play. Uh, And I think converting the third downs last night showed that a little bit. We had a good day in the red zone. That that's, shows development in a quarterback. Um, just need to make good throws, good plays, good reads, run the offense from the start of the huddle to the line of scrimmage. You know, we're not always spot on right there, and we need to be. But um, I think Drew's got it in him, and we're going to keep working with him on that. Eric, uh, some some interesting nuances there in what he was saying. Uh, uh, I'll get into that in just a second, but he was also asked if Brett Rippon, if there was any consideration on him getting any play down the stretch here, these final four games, he said no. And I liked what Fangio had to say there. We're going to keep working with him. I feel like he's got it in him. I agree with all of those things. I think that Drew just needs to play and work and get through this. And, and uh, I think that eventually through this learning season, I think the Broncos with some consistency, with some, uh, you know, the same play caller again next season, those types of things, this offense is going to get better. But what I thought was interesting was he specifically noted there, Fangio did, from the huddle to the line of scrimmage, they're not always spot on there. What did you, what do you think he meant by that? Well, I think you saw it in the illegal shift. I think you saw it in the illegal formation. Broncos had a couple penalties that were not, uh, you know, those are mental errors. So that's an easy one to kind of draw a connection to there. They were not sharp enough in that area. I think also there were a couple times when maybe Drew Locke could have checked into a different play. If the Chiefs have a certain number of guys in the box, maybe you check to a pass. Um, so, so that's more what I see there, you know, reading the defense before the play to see what you can kind of glean from uh, their formation 
and that, that'll come with time. I think he's still a young quarterback. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, after winning MVP in 2018, said after the season, or maybe it was after the Super Bowl, but he said, looking back at my MVP season, I didn't even know how to read defenses. You know, he said that he kind of just was out there. That speaks to his talent, obviously, but I think it also shows that, you know, it, it's a work in progress. It's his first off, his first year in the offense for Drew Locke. It takes some time to figure out if the defense does this, I do this, certain plays, um, you know, Noah Fant's moving, Troy Fumagalli's moving at the same time. That's not necessarily Drew's fault, but some of that falls on the quarterback to clean up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, in the offense in general, Phil, I mean, they responded by having a field goal, a touchdown, you know, four or five possessions, you really could have had scores there between the end of the first half and the third quarter. Um, that that drive in the third quarter took off uh, almost four minutes, went 70 yards, scored a touchdown. That was maybe their most impressive drive of the season, I thought, given the stakes that you'd fallen behind um, and were able to come back and retake the lead. You're just a playoff here and a playoff there. And uh, I do think that'll come with time, but you know, it's tough to, you say you're close and yet it's 16 points. And so it obviously needs to be better, but I do think they're moving in the right direction and patience. It just, it's all about patience. And I know that's hard for the fans to hear who knows how much patience a guy like John Elway has um, who's making these decisions. We'll, we'll just have to see what happens. I do think that uh, the, the talent is there. You've seen it with the highs, so I think then it just becomes a more of a question of how can we consistently play at a high level? And to me, that just means having consistency around him the whole time, play caller team weapons around him. And this Broncos team is so young and this is such a wacky year anyway, with the pandemic, you know, um, like even on this Monday, the Broncos are not at the facility like they normally would be. So I just think that, having a little bit more normalcy and having consistency around him, this team is eventually going to get there. And, you know, you're seeing experienced teams around the league. You're seeing uh, teams that have had this consistency. They're having more success this season. And you don't need Drew Locke to become Patrick Mahomes. I, I think that that's an unfair bar to set for him. But if he could be like, for example, Ben Roethlisberger level type of player, you see the Steelers have not lost a game yet this season. Um, they're the number one seed in the AFC. He's not going out there and just crushing the game, you know, but he's playing well for that team. So uh, I just think that uh, that's what they're going to eventually have to do. Uh, Eric here, but let's move on to the, uh, our last point here before we get to some voicemails, Eric, and that is the play of Jerry Judy. Just the one catch yesterday, Eric, uh, coming in that final drive. I don't think that's what the Broncos had in mind when they drafted him 15th overall. No, it's not. Um, Vic Fangio mentioned that on Monday, Phil. I want to make sure I choose my words correctly here just to, to say what I'm, what I mean. But to me, the, the deep passes, the, the looks down the field are where Judy has been most involved in, in as far as being targeted. And for whatever reason, Drew is struggling to match up and have that chemistry and complete those passes. And I think all you need to do is look at the fact that 
he's Judy's been targeted 82 times this year and just has 38 catches. I mean, that's a, that's a catch rate that is not good enough, frankly. And, you know, some of that falls on Jerry Judy. We've seen him drop some passes. Some of that falls on the quarterback play when they've not been on target. Um, they've got to find a way it's not about this year. And, you know, hopefully they use these final four games to get on the same page, but he is too talented to not be involved more. Um, and listen, that doesn't mean he's going to have 10 catches every game. There might be games where he has two or three catches the same way that we've seen. Sometimes defenses took away Cortland Sutton and he'd end up with a couple catches uh, or they take away Noah Fant or, or whoever it might be, but he's got to be involved more than one catch for five yards. Um, because he's too good. And I don't, you know, for the future of this offense, they've got to get that figured out. It is confusing, Eric. I agree with you. It's hard to explain. Uh, I tried to compare him to who I personally think is having the best rookie season at the wide receiver position, Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. Justin Jefferson only has two more targets than Judy does. He's got 84 targets, but he's got 61 catches for more than a thousand yards and seven touchdowns. Judy has 82 targets, 38 catches, like you mentioned, almost 600 yards catching and just two touchdowns. And the disconnect there is very puzzling to me because all offseason you know, during training camp, during the lead up to the season, we heard about how great of a route runner he is. Uh, we heard Kareem Jackson compare him to, you know, veterans that are in the league currently. And you just thought he was going to have this crazy big season. And it's hard to tell how Corlin Sutton uh, being lost for the year, how that impacted him. On one hand, you're saying, okay, well, now he becomes the number one wide out. He's going to get more targets. But on the other hand, you're saying, okay, well, he's going to go up against the best DB on the other team. It's just been puzzling to me. I don't know if it's he's not getting open because I do feel like with his route running, he's probably open definitely at times during his route. And maybe that's not syncing up where maybe Drew's not looking at him in that moment where he's breaking open. And so then he just thinks that he's not open or, or whatever the case may be, but the production has got to increase. He's got to have an impact on the game more than just the one catch. He just has to. Yeah. And it's not maybe as bleak as we make it sound. He's got almost 600 yards. He's on pace for 800 yards. It's not, it's not terrible by any means. I wouldn't say um, 800 yards would be more than Cortland Sutton had as a rookie. It's you know near the top of what any Broncos rookie has accomplished. So, but hard to, to compare the different eras, though. I mean, yes, Cortland Sutton, Cortland. same era, but he wasn't he wasn't coming in to become that big sensational wide receiver right off the bat. You know the way the expectations for Judy have been. Right. But I think if, if you said before the season, Jerry Judy is going to end up with 800 yards, you probably would have been pretty happy, I think. And granted, you would have said that not knowing Cortland Sutton gets hurt and, and all that. But if he ends up with 800 yards, a couple more touchdowns over the final four games, I think you look at it a little bit differently. Um, I will say maybe something I've noticed is that it doesn't seem like Judy is always the primary option on some of these plays. I think Tim Patrick tends to be that guy more frequently. And so I don't know if that's just, you know, maybe some of the, the lack of targets is Drew going more frequently to his first target or going to a guy like Tim Patrick. 
not seeing, you know, there, there's one play that's kind of making the rounds on Twitter of Drew overthrowing Noah and it hitting the first down marker on the right side as, Ju- as Judy is getting open on the left. That's right before it's just I as simple as, Right. It's just as simple as Drew not looking to the backside of the play. And there are times when a play, a guy can be open, but the play just simply isn't designed for it to go there. And it's hard to know with the Broncos offense, is Judy being featured heavily enough? Is he a guy that is, you know, the top target on enough plays? Maybe it's as simple as that where the Broncos, where Pat Shermer needs to say, you know, we've got to be better at getting Judy first option looks so that he can get the ball, get in space. But I think that's another area where they can improve is every pass to him doesn't need to be 25 yards down the field. It can be a seven yard slant route where you let him catch it across the middle and go. That that's part of his skill set that probably hasn't been used enough. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, it's a combination of a lot of things for why this thing isn't exactly working. Uh, You know, I think that, 38 catches, probably not exactly where I would have thought he would have been at this point in the season. But, um, you know, it's been that kind of year, I guess, for the whole offense. So hopefully uh, uh, that continues to progress and that they get a little bit better, more on the same page as they just get this time together and, and continue to work together. So, I mean, on the bright, on the flip side of that, I wouldn't have expected Tim Patrick to have the season that he's been having. And he's been a, a really bright note and uh i think he's shown that maybe heading into the season we were wondering oh tim patrick or deshaun hamilton who's going to be that next option for the broncos i think that we've seen what kind of player tim patrick has become he's really emerged as a legitimate wide receiver in the in the nfl yeah and i think kj hamler has been impressive to me um when he was drafted i kind of i was a little skeptical phil I thought he was, I mean, he is small, but I thought he kind of a small, fast guy that uh, was going to be a gimmick type player. He's gained tough yards. I mean, people will focus on that, the catch he didn't make there on third and three, but he shrugged off a tackler at one point and got a first down. He uh, got flipped into the air at one point and is willing to, uh, you know, take on contact. I've been impressed with him. He's He's been a really good addition those end arounds feel that the last few years we've seen guys get tackled in the backfield. He gains part positive yardage every time. Um, I've been really happy with him. I think Tyree Cleveland is a guy that has kind of started to come on. Um, he showed his physicality catch. in the kick, ret- in the kick return game had a catch uh, for the Broncos there before halftime. Uh, when Cortland Sutton comes back, the quarterback or excuse me, the wide receiver group could easily be the the best position group on the team. And, despite Tim Patrick having 600 yards and five touchdowns, it's still going to be a tough competition next year because you're going to have to find ways to get Cortland touches and Jerry touches and KJ and Tim and Tyree, you know, so that room is in a good spot. I think that overall the offense is in a very good spot. Generally. It's just that uh, more consistent play at the quarterback position is going to translate to this offense. I really think that, it's possible for this Broncos offense, if they can turn the corner, they've got the possibility to be very, very good down the road. You know, I think that you've seen the potential at times for a lot of different playmakers. 
And I think that the way this offensive line has been able to, to play across the board, improving really at a lot of different positions. We've seen the guards uh, be, uh, you know, really uh, impactful in the running game. We've seen, of course, Garrett Bowles play this season. You know, I think that this offensive line is coming together. If they can get that consistent play from the quarterback position, I really think that you're going to see this offense take off at some point. Yeah, and why not over these final four weeks of the season? I mean, I don't, I don't see a team now after the way they play against the Chiefs that they can't beat. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to win all of them or any of them. You know, they've got to still go out there and do it against some tough opponents. But, you know, they're good enough if they play like they did against the Chiefs to go beat the Panthers, oh, yeah. to beat the Bills at home, to go on the road and beat a Chargers team that's struggling, to beat a Raiders team that's up and down from week to week. And, you know, it's, it's four and one with a loss to the Chiefs again. That'd be something that I think you'd look back and say, hey, this offense took a step. The defense, you know, was resilient despite losing all these guys. And uh, it puts you in a good position heading into next year. For sure. Eric, I think it's time to get to some voicemails. What do you say? Let's do it. Let's do it. And I think that a lot of uh, neutral zone nation is feeling like we are, Eric, up and down. Uh, let's start with our first caller here. Chris calling in from all the way out in Pennsylvania, longtime Broncos fan. Um, I wonder what was up with – the play calling today. Um, I enjoyed that Melvin Gordon was as productive as he was. Um, you know, the contract he got this year, that's kind of the productivity I expect out of it. Um, but I don't understand. I feel as though Philip Lindsay wasn't utilized correctly. Um, where Because in the game against Miami, those runs where we pull Dalton Reisner or Garrett Bowles or anyone for that matter, where the run plays where we sweep and we pull um, one of the offensive linemen. Philip Lindsay was so successful with those runs, and I feel as though it was the same run play over and over and over with Philip Lindsay. Um, I may go back and rewatch the game just to be sure. And I felt as though, despite how well the defense played today, I think they held up pretty well, obviously. Uh, I feel as though A.J. Boye's tackling was a weak point today. Um, I felt I felt as though there were some missed opportunities for uh, to stop some plays from developing further downfield for him, um, out in open space. But either way, I look forward to seeing what the Broncos can do for the rest of this season and then go into next season. Go Broncos! Thank you very much for your call, there, Chris. Uh, calling from Pennsylvania. Uh, brought up a couple of interesting points there. Uh, just Philip Lindsay not quite able to get things going like he has uh, the last couple of weeks. And then uh, A.J. Boye's tackling. A.J. Boye, uh, a big test. Uh, I thought he had some nice uh, pass breakups. Uh, overall played well, but uh, his tackling, I think he did miss one big tackle on uh, Travis Kelsey at some point. And uh, what do you think about what Chris had to say there? Yeah, I'll see with Philip Lindsay, obviously, uh not one of his better performances, 14 carries for 26 yards, 1.9 yards per carry, four yards as his longest run. As far as why they didn't do the same thing as last week, some of that was based on the Dolphins' front. You know, they schemed some things up, or excuse me, two weeks ago. Um, just kind of pretend like the Saints game didn't really happen, Phil. <laughs> um, but I think if you watch any of the runs, the Chiefs, despite their inability to stop Melvin Gordon, were getting contact near the line of scrimmage. Melvin's Gord Melvin Gordon's success came because he broke tackles and was able to get through these holes. 
Philip Lindsay was not able to break those tackles and was brought down almost immediately. And so to me, it wasn't about scheme. It was about Melvin Gordon being a better matchup as a bigger back, able to break those tackles. Um, and he just had a better game than Philip Lindsay. And to be honest, I understand why you're rotating them through, but Philip Lindsay had carries on the final two drives of the game before, I guess the, the two leading into the last kind of gasp of a drive. And he had negative one yards on one carry and one yard on the other carry. Whether that's because the Chiefs know that he's coming in to run the ball rather than pass protect and can just tee off, or he just didn't have quality carries. You know, those are carries you're taking away from Melvin Gordon, who had the best game of the season. I would have liked to just hand the ball to him and say, hey, fall forward for a couple yards and uh, let's keep this thing moving. So, yeah, Phil Lindsay, not his best game as a Bronco. A.J. Boye, I agree, some issues tackling. I thought there were um, times he played well in pass coverage. Obviously, we need to see what you get from him the rest of the year. He's having to take on a little bit more without Bryce Callahan there. Now without Isang Bassey in the slot, I'm sure he's going to have to take on more responsibility. But to me, Phil, the receivers were not the issue. Travis Kelsey, again, becomes the issue, and – He's just an issue for a lot of teams because he's big and he's fast and he knows where to sit in the zone. And he might not know who he's playing, but he's a, a good player. Yeah. I mean, he knows how to get open. He just gets open, you know. So, uh, Eric, let's move on to our next caller. This is of our, our good friend, Brandon, from Iowa. A Vicks defense, did what Vicks defense does. And we got a little bit of uh, luck on our side in that game, it looked like, so. I am excited to watch the rest of the season and hopefully maybe a regular off season next year and uh, we can get some more practice reps in. These guys can come out and be spitfires all over again. Thanks, guys. See, Brandon is uh, excited about what he saw out there. You know, he's motivated. He liked what he saw from the defense. Thought that Vic Fangio did a nice job uh, with the play calls. I'd have to agree. They did a tremendous job. Um so a little bit of a contrast there, Eric. Yeah, and I'd agree with Brandon. You know, they, they played well uh, defensively. Really only one or two kind of breakdowns that you saw happen, and it didn't bite them too terribly. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens in the offseason. There's a, a long way to go before we get there. We don't know what next offseason looks like, so I think it's premature to say the offseason program is automatically going to happen or to say it's not in person. Um, so we'll just kind of wait and see in that area, I think, but it, any additional time, whether it's virtual in person and training camp, being able to have preseason games again, that all is helpful. And then our uh, last voicemail here from uh, Broncos Batman. Hey guys, Bronco Batman here. I just got through uh, crying in the corner. I'm, I'm, I'm good now. Tough loss, but you know, season might be over but you know what we can still finish strong head into next season with a a promising future but you know I'm I'm still for my Broncos I still believe in Drew Locke I mean we hung in there you know more than what other people thought so I'm still proud of them it hurts but you know what it is what it is on to Carolina and uh Broncos Batman I'm out Broncos Batman uh, was a little bit down there, but then he came through at the end. You know, says they're on to Carolina. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that he feels like a lot of Broncos country and that, hey, they were two touchdown favorites, uh, underdogs coming into this one. And uh, they played close, almost had a chance to win. Feel good about being close, but ultimately a loss is a loss. Yeah, and I think everybody kind of shares that opinion. You know, it's, they played well, still uh, some steps to go. Eric, let's wrap up here uh, by talking a little bit about Christian McCaffrey. Uh, we heard from uh, him on Monday. Uh, of course, the son of uh, the great Ed McCaffrey, a longtime Broncos wide receiver, uh, obviously a part of those two Super Bowl teams in the 1990s, and uh, still lives in Denver, the head coach up at uh, UNC now. Uh, he you know, does some media stuff too. Uh, definitely a friend of the program. Uh, got a chance to get to know Ed a little bit here. And this has got to be a weird game for Christian. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he grew up watching this team, being around this team. I remember in 2017 when I was uh, imploring the Broncos to trade up to get him somehow, some way, which was not possible. He went too high. Uh, you know, he talked about how weird it was to like meet with John Elway officially, officially when they just know each other from him being around. Um, yeah. So Christian McCaffrey, it'll be went cool. two spots ahead of Patrick Mahomes. He did. Yeah. Eighth overall to the Panthers, I believe. Yeah. Um, I was hoping that night, Phil, I was like, just drop, drop to like 12 and then we'll come get you. <laughs> we'll come get you. I think you. there Our were side- reports. <laughs> I think there were reports that he, you know, the Broncos liked him. Um, he can do so much, but uh, it'll be it'll be fun to watch him play. He hasn't played much at all this year. This would be his first game back. Didn't officially confirm that he'll be back, but he said he feels great. So hopefully he's out there and we get to uh, see the native son. Yeah, uh, all reports looking like he, his shoulder is uh, doing just fine. He said so, and that looks like he's going to be able to play in this game. But you think back, uh, you know, he played uh, state championship games in the stadium. He uh, obviously that uh, mascot football video was uh, circulating there for a while where, you know, he's just a little guy out there running around on the same field that the Broncos call home. So kind of a crazy situation. I did ask Ed McCaffrey in the off season when the schedule came out, what he thought about this game. He said that uh, he definitely has to root for his family. He's a family man. So uh, he's going to hope for uh, Christian to have a good game, but there's gotta be somewhere deep inside that. He's like, that's my Broncos, you know, somewhere, but obviously he's got to root for Christian. Yeah. Uh, He wants like five touchdowns for Christian, but maybe a Broncos win. That would be crazy. That would, that would mean be. that the Broncos would have to score more than 35 points. <laughs> we're going to have to, I thought you said they were going to score 35 points a game. I did. I did. I did say that. That's yeah. That's I think I was a somewhere. little bit off. Yeah. I've destroyed all of that. <laughs> I destroyed about, about 20 points. <laughs> uh, Christian talked about growing up uh, around this Broncos, around the 1990s Broncos team and hanging out in the locker room. He, uh, he had this to say on Monday. Yeah, you know, Rod Smith uh, is a good friend of my, my dad and my mom. And, um, you know, obviously growing up and, and him and my dad being the receivers, uh, you know, still keep in touch a little bit with him today, too. So it's just cool to see, you know, different generations go through the NFL. And, 
uh, pretty surreal uh, in, in a way to be playing against my dad's former team. Uh, kind of, you know, makes things go full circle. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Rod was great. Um, you know, I remember watching Terrell Davis all the time. Howard Griff Griffith was a fullback uh, who I loved watching. Um, you know, I know he played with uh, Steve Atwater, uh, who I've seen, you know, just around certain events. Um, a lot of guys, though, man. I mean, it's, it's just cool. It kind of shows the, the brotherhood that football – football has in general you know still guys that my dad played with who, who I keep in touch with just through the grapevine so um but a lot of those guys you know Mark Schlereth who's an announcer today get to talk to him uh so but I, I know I'm missing a whole bunch but but really there's a lot of them Eric I thought that he was just naming uh, all the guys that we've done Broncos legends videos on that's right he got close <laughs> so that's going to be a fun game uh, for Christian coming up on Sunday. Uh, unfortunately, the game is in Carolina. Otherwise, it would have been a little bit cooler, him coming back to Denver. Um, he said that he's spent every offseason since he's been in the league back home here in Denver. So maybe we'll bump into him sometime this offseason just to see what he does. Possible. Yeah, I know that uh, he's a big part of Ed McCaffrey's camp, uh, Dare to Play, uh, helping uh, Global Down Syndrome. So um, he does a lot for that. So I think he also helped save someone's life on a hike this last uh, – I don't think that was this offseason. That was maybe two years ago. I heard that. I heard that yeah. mentioned, yeah. All around, he's pretty much a, a, a superhuman kind of person. He is. That's the kind of vibe I get when you hear about Christian, like amazing athlete, just like perf, almost like a perfect, like Superman kind of person. He reminds me of you a lot, I think. <laughs> Eric, with that, let's uh, wrap up this show. Uh, I think that we talked a little bit about Drew Locke, talked about Jerry Judy, talked about game management, uh, heard from Christian McCaffrey, and also heard from Neutral Zone Nation. Eric, any uh, parting words here? Well, Phil, you did miss one very important email. I don't know if you uh, oh. meant to do that or not. Save the uh, best for last year, Eric. We got an email from Dead Dude 28 who, as far as we can tell, we don't know. This is an actual listener. He said, Phil and Eric, you guys kill it on the podcast. I've got to ask, how does Phil's wife feel about Eric not – he didn't use proper uh, grammar here, but basically me being your everything and not your wife. And he said, is that why Phil sleeps on the couch a lot? Then he wants to know how I balance high school and a full-time job with the Denver Broncos. It's tough. I find a way to do it. Uh, a lot of sleepless nights. He says, very impressive. Thanks for all the hard work you boys put in. Hashtag Eric over Phil. Hashtag Phil's hair over all other hair. Hashtag my favorite toadies. Sincerely, Eric Fan one Thank you, I think. <laughs> Yes, that was good. I think that was a good email. Uh, I do appreciate uh, people who email like that. Definitely the hair a little bit longer than usual, but it's still on point. I think that we can agree there. Um, I did show that uh, email to my wife. She thought it was very funny. Yeah, she thought that was funny. She was like, "How do they know?" Headed off to <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, headed off to college in a couple yeah. of years, though. So hopefully, I can still continue to balance this, but it'll be trickier. What schools are you, are you considering, just out of curiosity? I'm only a sophomore, so I haven't really thought about that. But Got it. Got um, it. I'll take the PSAT soon enough, and then I'll kind of get an idea for where I can where I can reach for. 
Uh, Eric, you might have missed this one because it didn't go straight into the email inbox. You had to check your calendar for this one, but Jeff Flanagan did uh, move Victory Monday again. This is the second time he's rescheduled it. Uh, did send you a Google invite for next Monday. So just mm. so you know. I, I told Jeff we might need to do that. I said that last week that maybe he should move it again. <laughs> I think I think I can get next Monday. I think that'll work for me. Yeah. Okay. Just pencil it in. <laughs> pencil it in for now. Maybe exactly. We'll, we'll go to pen in a little bit here. So, all right. That is going to do it for us. We'll be back on Thursday. A little bit of a deeper dive into this matchup with the Panthers and uh, Eric in this world. Who knows what might happen over the next couple of days? We got. That's true. Ready. We truly do not know. You got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. That's right. That's my motto in life. <laughs> All right. So we'll be back on Thursday. Until then, for Eric Dalala, I am Phil Milani. You've been listening to The, the Neutral, Neutral Zone. Zone. This is Bronco Batman. And you're listening to The Neutral Zone.